I absolutely love it. Uh, seeing Sean White come down the hill. Uh, I never knew Sean personally. I went to school with his older brother. But just a Carlsbad, California hometown hero for me. I've watched his career when he started on the circuit. And uh, I've seen a real change in Sean over the years. Uh, you know, the first couple of Olympics, he went in there and, and just the way he won. But this right here, it, it's a story of somebody who overcame unbelievable obstacles and persevered for a goal and achieved it to the roar of the crowd. And I loved his response, tears streaming down his cheeks, his hugging his mom and dad. And, and uh, if you don't know the story, in October, he took a pretty, pretty hard fall to the, and actually cut his face pretty wide open um, and considered not competing in the Olympics. And I love that he went for gold. I love that. I love that final run. And I think that same kind of heart is caught up in the heart of Paul the Apostle when he is writing from a jail cell, and really it's right before he's put to death. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, he says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have gone for gold. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. This is an invitation to, like, go for it. To be, your, be a hometown hero here. To carry the message out. And to really live it out. Not just be a, 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 what is it when you sit at a, a concert? What are you, you're like watching. What is that called? You, don't just be a spectator, man. Be, be a part of it. It's so easy to be a spectator of Christianity. To look in on others who are living it out. But I'll tell you what, when I cross the finish line... There are a few words I want to hear from my Heavenly Father. Can you guess what those are? Well done, done, good and faithful servant. That's gold. That's the gold medal. And I, I pray that we all have that same heart start to stir in us as we turn our attention back to the book of Acts. Now as a church, for those of us who are new to Firewheel, uh, and maybe those of us who, who just don't remember, there was a time last year when we were going through verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. We took a break during the Christmas season, and then the thought was at the beginning of the new year we were going to jump right into the book of Acts until God hijacked the pulpit uh, and took us in a journey and in a direction that I wasn't, I wasn't aware that we were going to go, but to look at reconciliation and the process of conflict and forgiveness and how there can be restoration and lost relationships. Family, please do not let go of the past six or seven messages that we have covered as a church. They're online. They're available. We're going to have the roadmap of reconciliation available in the next couple of weeks that we're going to put together so you can walk out reconciliation with people in your life. Please don't forget about that concept. Don't just close it as the series closes. But today we are turning our attention back to the book of Acts. And here's what I know. I know it's really, really hard to keep our place in a book, especially when we've been out of it for a while. And so what I want to do this morning is give you a brief overview. But this is going to be interactive, so I don't want you all just sitting there silent. Uh, I, want to part- I want you to participate. So everybody gets a, a high participation award today, okay? Oh, well, I haven't given it to you yet, so don't get too excited. So uh, we're turning to Acts chapter 1. Let's open our Bibles. Everybody say, Word. 
We are opening the Word, Acts chapter 1. Uh, the author of the book of, of Acts is also the author of a gospel account that bears his name. Can anybody yell out, who is the author? I didn't ask yet, Stephen. <laughs> who is the author of the book of Acts? That's right, the historian and physician, uh, a guy by the name of Luke, we believe was a Gentile, most likely converted to the faith, receiving the gospel through the preaching of Paul. He later goes back to record and put together an orderly account of all the things that happened, and we believe that this guy by the name of, do you know, know who he's writing to? His name is Theo Theophilus, that's right. This uh, Roman official, we don't know who he is. He's described as, oh, most excellent Theophilus. So we believe he's a person of some means. And so probably underwrites the cost of putting together this historical account. And so we have the Gospel of Luke and we have the book of Acts. And so at the very first part of the book of Acts, he tells us why he's writing. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus. What book is that? The Gospel of Luke, that's right. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up. And so he's like, look, the the Gospel focuses on the birth and the life, the teaching, the miracles, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. And now in the second volume, he's going to focus on all that Jesus continued to do and to teach And through the church and through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, he goes on to say this. He was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself what? Alive. Y'all see that in the text? He presented himself what? Alive, okay? To them after his suffering. What is that referring to? What is suffering referring to? The crucifixion, that's absolutely right. He presented himself alive after his sufferings by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. So here's the deal, family. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, not up for debate. And I hear people tell me that it's like, well, that's a truth that's kept in your heart. That's your spiritual belief. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, historical fact. Okay, historical fact. He has risen. Now what you do with it is entirely up to you. You believe it, not believe it, disregard it, whatever, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not up for debate. He he appeared for a 40-day period. He taught. He had meals. He shared about the kingdom of God. He gave the great commission, enlisted us in his mission, and he said, I'm going to empower you to carry out that mission. In fact, the very most important verse, the most important verse, the most important verse in the book of Acts lays out the entirety of the structure of the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Right before he ascends into heaven, he says, but you will receive what? Power. That is dunamai, dynamic power through whom? Through the Holy Spirit. Okay, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my what? My witnesses in Greek, that is martyreo. You will be my martyreos. It's where we get the English word martyr. That these witnesses were so serious going after the gold that they, it literally cost them their life. That their, their, their witness became synonymous with suffering, so their title became the word martyr. They were willing to go to death, give it all. For the sake of Christ. He says, you will be my witnesses in what city? 
Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the and the, I'm not hearing a lot over here. Can you all, is it? Can you all read that? Okay, let's all read it together. But you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has, and you will be. Yeah, man. So there's your outline of the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon this early gathering of believers. But here's something they never could have comprehended. There was no way they would have been able to understand that the gospel wasn't just for the Jewish nation. At this moment, as the disciples, these apostles, are gathered on this mountaintop with Jesus, he's about to ascend. He says, you're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses. They assumed that that witness would be just to the Jewish people. They didn't realize that to the ends of the earth meant to the ends of the earth, not just the ends of the Jewish earth, but to us as Gentiles. To the ends of the earth, i.e. Rowlett, Texas. Rowlett's in there. Did you know that? I mean, it's in a little tiny parenthetical, tiny writing. Anyway, it's there. So Jesus ascends into heaven. Chapter 2, the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit comes upon the early believers in power. In fact, uh, the day of Pentecost, there is this gathering of 120. There's the sound of wind and, and fire. It fills the house. Tongues of fire lands on their head. And this 120 disciples burst out into the streets of Jerusalem doing what? proclaiming the glory of God in all the languages of the then known earth. And on that, a huge crowd gathers where? Do you all remember where? In the temple. That is exactly right. In the temple in Jerusalem, Peter stands and addresses the crowd. No, they're not drunk as you assume. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is as Joel spoke and Peter proclaims the great sermon. Where is the first sermon preached, family, in the church? Outside, the church was always a seeking entity. It was always out. Out in the open air, the gospel is proclaimed. Do you all remember how many people responded? 3,000 people were cut to the heart. And they responded, what must we do? Repent, believe, and be baptized. And that day, 3,120 roughly plus men, women, and children. So we're thinking maybe 6,000 people Become a part of the church. And very distinctive Christian worship and Christian fellowship takes place in verses 42 through 47. That informs all future gatherings of believers. By chapter 3, Peter and John are entering into the temple. And they meet a man who had been born lame in his feet for 40 years. He was laid at a gate called Beautiful to beg alms. Peter looking at him saying, silver and gold I do not have for you, but what I do have in the name of the Lord Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man entered into the temple with Peter and John, leaping, jumping, and, and praising God. A crowd gathers at Solomon's portico. Peter preaches the gospel. What happens? What's that? More are saved. The church grows. Peter and John are arrested. Chapter 4, they are presented before the Jewish high council. What are they being charged with? Blasphemy. Because they're preaching in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. They are preaching him as the Lord and the Messiah. And so Peter takes opportunity to preach the gospel to the Jewish high council. 
the Jewish high council responds by threatening their lives, saying, stop preaching the name of Jesus. How did the the church respond? They pray for more boldness. I love this. There are times in our life when people were like, hey, um, you can't talk about Jesus. And it's like that moment where you're like, oh, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm under a greater authority. Yeah, so my Lord, this is the thing. I love you, but I love him more. And he told me that I'm supposed to share about him. And I appreciate your heart in telling me that I can't share about him, but I have to obey him over than, over more than you. And so they pray for more boldness to preach the gospel. Chapter 5 of the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira learn it's not a good idea to lie to the Holy Spirit. What happens to them? They both die, drop dead. Uh, kind of an awkward moment in the early church brought a level of humility and sobriety to the early church. The apostles continue to preach in power. They are again what? You'll remember? The, the overview is behind me. It gives you the, the clues here. What happens to them? They're what? They are arrested again, this time brought before the Jewish high council. And the Jewish high council is like, hey, didn't we tell you to stop preaching in the name of Jesus? To which the apostles responded with preaching the name of Jesus to the Jewish high council again. So they they go aside. The Jewish high council is like, what are we going to do with these guys? Okay, we tell them not to preach the gospel. They continue to preach the gospel. And one of them says, I know, let's beat them. So they beat them. And the apostles... They respond, not in dejection, but they respond rejoicing. In fact, look at, look at these verses found in chapter 5, verses 41 through 42. They left the presence of the council doing what? Rejoicing. When was the last time you rejoiced for taking a beating? They rejoiced. Why? Because they were worthy. They were worthy to suffer. They looked at the suffering of Christ and they were like, oh, we got to taste a little bit of, a bit of that. They rejoiced, and, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease doing what? They weren't deterred in the least. They continued to preach the name of Jesus. Chapter 6, 7, count them, 7. Men are chosen for food distribution in the early church. They are more than waiters. They are men filled with the Holy Spirit and the power and good reputation. And two of them that we focus in on are Stephen and Philip. They're like the foundation of the early deacons. And they are set aside for the work of the ministry. It's a beautiful passage. But very quickly, one of those men is taken into custody. In fact, by chapter 7, we see Stephen now on trial and he's on trial for preaching Jesus and he preaches one of the most biblically one of the most biblically comprehensive sermons you find anywhere in the New Testament and by the end of it he's like you stiff naked people not naked but naked like neck stiff necked people hardening your heart to the Holy Spirit and they grit their teeth And they drag him outside of the city and they stone him to death. His blood is shed and it ignites the great persecution. Chapter 8. A great persecution breaks out. Who is heading up this great persecution? The young man whom they laid the coats at his feet. This guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He is leading the persecution. In fact, we see in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says this. And Saul approved of his execution. He did more than approve of it. He was more in support of it. He went out to execute others. And there arose on that day a great what? Persecution. Do you all read that? On that day there arose what? What is a great, what does that mean? What does persecution mean? What? 
a cleanse? What else? I mean, they were cleansing for sure, the city of Jerusalem, and they thought they were. What is persecution? What does it mean to be persecuted? Punishment, hunted down. They're being, they're being chased through the streets. Communities of believers, families. Listen to this. It says that the devout men buried uh, Stephen and made great lamentations over him. Uh, but before that, it says they were all scattered. Like literally like seed, like scattered. Out of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. What does that sound like? It sounds like Acts 1-8, doesn't it? That this persecution led to this fulfillment, except for the apostles, and they buried Stephen, verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church. That ravaging is like a wild boar ravaging up an orchard or a vineyard, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He was killing and uh, taking people into prison, dragging them off. Middle of chapter 8, we meet the other deacon, Philip. Because he is scattered, what does he do when scattered? He does what seed does. He's planted. He brings the gospel to Samaria. He shares the gospel with the eunuch that's heading to Africa. By the end of chapter 8 of the book of Acts, the gospel has reached Samaria, and it's on its way to Africa. Anybody think that's significant? Chapter 9, the great persecutor of the church becomes the great preacher He's on his way to Damascus thinking he's about to go wreck shop on Damascus. God knocks him on his butt, renders him blind. By the time his eyes are able to see, he truly sees. And he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He preaches Jesus in Damascus till they're about to kill him there. He preaches Jesus in Jerusalem till they're about to kill him there. And they send him back home to Tarsus. And they're like, hey, Saul, we'll give you a call when we need you next time. We'll meet him in just a minute. By chapter 10... Peter is on a rooftop in Joppa. And while he's on this rooftop in Joppa, he sees a vision. Can anybody remember what the vision was? A big sheet. And it's filled with all sorts of animals. And there's the national anthem of Texas. Rise, kill, and eat. And all of God's people said, Amen. But Peter's sitting there. He's like, I can't do that. There's clean, there's unclean animals. Nothing unclean has ever touched my mouth. And God says, what I have called clean, do not call unclean. He's not speaking of animals. He's speaking of people. You see, there was a deeply held prejudice in the early church that the Gentiles were unclean. Peter came to realize that God's plan involved the Gentiles. Cornelius, a high-ranking Roman official, had sent a couple of his men to go pick up Peter to bring a message back. He didn't know what the message was. Peter goes on his way to Caesarea, preaches the gospel to a house full of Gentiles. Every single one of them is saved. A beautiful moment, the Holy Spirit falls on that household, and we see a Pentecost of sorts for the Gentiles. But then Peter's got some explaining to do. He's called back to Jerusalem, chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. There's a group that is gathered there. They're called the Circumcision Party. I've been to a lot of parties, but that ain't my kind of party. I don't know about you. But they are confronted with unbelievable, deep-seated prejudice. It's hard for us to recognize that even in the first century, there was deep-seated prejudice, just like there is deep-seated prejudice in the 21st century church, and just like in the first century and in the 21st century, prejudice must die. Somebody amen that. Amen. And Peter's like, hey, look, you want to blame it on somebody? It's God's fault. God told me to go. God moved in power. The Holy Spirit fell on him, just like the Holy Spirit fell on us. 
And you know what? By the verse 18, the end of verse 18, they're rejoicing, saying, you know what? God's plans for the Gentiles. And we all say amen. We look at verse 19, and that is where we begin our journey in the text. Was that helpful? <sighs> I sure hope so. There you go. There's your crash course, the book of Acts. Chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were what? Scattered because of what? The persecution that arose over Stephen. So that's chapter 7 and chapter 8. The great persecution, it scattered them. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And of course, we are very familiar with that. So let's look at a map. Um, this is not my favorite map, by the way. I used to have this wonderful resource called the ESV uh, uh, Bible Atlas. You might have it. Somebody borrowed it. You have it? Are you serious? I have been looking for that thing forever. I'm about to go get it right now. No, I'm, I'll, it's been in your desk? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Okay, well, next week you're going to have a much better map. So nonetheless, I hope you can see Jerusalem down there, the bottom right-hand corner. That is so awesome. You know how long I've been looking for that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I don't kind of, but it's, it can wait. Okay, so they're in Jerusalem. They get scattered, and it's not like they just like get haphazardly scattered. It's just like if you scattered from Dallas, what route would you take? probably 30 or 35 or 75, you get scattered along, along established routes. And so they, the same thing here. They get scattered along trade routes and they make their way north. There's some that went to Cyprus, sailed to Cyprus. They took the gospel with them there. They went up to Phoenicia and then they went all the way up to Antioch. And that may not seem like a big deal to you right now, but I'm going to tell you, it's a huge deal to where you sit right now. The fact that the gospel not only made it to Antioch, but took root in Antioch, we're here today because the church took root in Antioch. In fact, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this Roman city. It had a great history uh, as a Roman city. started off as a Greek city. In fact, it was the third greatest city in all of Rome at the time that the gospel arrives there. Uh, in fact, it would be Rome, the capital city, then Alexandria, then the next great city in the Roman Empire was Antioch of Syria. It boasted a population between 500,000 and 800,000 people, had a large population of Jewish people. It was a center of learning and of commerce, but it was unbelievably vile. In fact, it was known as the city of pleasure. Some of you just went, wait, he said pleasure. What are you talking about? What would that remind you of? What city? Vegas, Vegas. <laughs> Vegas has quite the reputation. Well, so did Antioch. Antioch sat on the Aronto, Aronto, sat on a river. And that particular river flowed 15 miles into the Mediterranean. And one Roman official, this was his quote, the vileness that flows down the Arontes River infects us all. It was considered a vile city. In fact, I quote here from the Bible Knowledge Commentary, located on the Orontes River, miles, 15 miles inland, it was known as Antioch on the Orontes. Beautifully situated and carefully planned, it was commercial center and the home of a large Jewish community, in spite of the fact it was a vile city with gross immorality and ritual prostitution as part of its temple worship. The church at Antioch was destined to become base of operations for Paul's missionary journeys. I look at those two and I'm like, what a contrast. A city of pleasure and wickedness becomes the, the base of operations for the entire worldwide missions movement of the first century. And I'm like, how do those two things go together? They're seekers of pleasure. Why would the gospel take root there? Because you know what? 
pleasure runs out. We get to the end of the bottle. We get to the end of the pills. We get to the end of the purchases. We get to the end of whatever we're looking to, to satisfy, to seek, and our souls are still restless, and then the gospel comes. And so these scattered believers carrying out Acts 1-8 are witnesses. And I see three words. Look at Acts 11, verse 19. It says, those who were scattered because of the persecution traveled speaking the word. Those three phrases, those three words jump at me because you know what? There's going to be time where we're going to get scattered. And there's times where we're going to face persecution in this life. But you know what? No matter where we end up, no matter where we land, we do what when we get there? We speak the word. And what's fascinating in verse 19, the text reveals that paradigm of prejudice because they, they didn't speak the word to everybody. They spoke the word only to Jewish people. And that tells me that they went to where they were comfortable. We often like to go where we're comfortable. People think like us and look like us and, and, and do things like we like to do. And, and I look at that and I'm like, well, they went where they were comfortable, but I'm so grateful that people went to where they weren't comfortable. Because in verse 20, we come to discover that there were some, there were some who were able to break outside of the paradigm, these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, didn't just hang out at the synagogues where it was comfortable. They went and spoke to the Hellenists. They went to preach to the Gentiles. And as they preached to the Gentiles, they preached the Lord Jesus. And so I see this kind of like systematic two-pronged approach, just like Peter preached to the Jews and Paul preached to the Gentiles. We had those who were preaching to the Gentiles. What were they preaching to the, to the, uh, to the Jews, by the way? What's that? What were the people preaching when they reached the Jews? Jesus. And what were they preaching when they were preaching to Gentiles? Jesus. Both preaching the name of Jesus. They brought the gospel, and the gospel does what the gospel does. These hometown heroes, bold and full of faith, share the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, can you bring up those two points? There were some who reached the Jews, and there were some who reached the Gentiles. They both preached Jesus, and the text tells us the hand of the Lord was with them, verse 21. Family, that's what makes the difference. You can do all the preaching you want. And reality is we can put a cross on this building. We can talk about Jesus all we want. But if the hand of the Lord is not with us, if he is not moving in power, our message will be powerless. But the hand of the Lord was with them. So as they engaged the Jewish population of Antioch and as they engaged the Gentile population of Antioch, the message, those who heard it, they believed and they turned. And that is the picture of the gospel. There was a point in our life when somebody shared with us the message and we heard it. We didn't just hear it with our ears, but we heard it with our hearts. We heard, we believed, and then we turned. We turned from unbelief to belief in Christ. And this is where we'll pick up next week. We will be on the Orontes River, gosh, that's hard to say, in the city of Antioch as the gospel takes root. A few applications for us uh, before we close today. First, family, it's good for us to look at a whole book. Okay, I know for some of us this is like an overwhelming experience to do an overview. It's good for you. It's good for you spiritually to look at an entirety of a book. Sometimes we get so focused on taking verses 
and just saying, this is all I need. I just need this little verse. But these verses land in paragraphs. They land in chapters. They land in books. And the book of Acts was always meant to be read cover to cover. And it's good for us to be exposed to overview material. Uh, That's just kind of an extra one. Uh, First, scattering and sharing the word. Where did the, where did the pocket of believers begin? Where did the, the church begin? What city? Jerusalem. Family, they were discipled in Jerusalem. Then they were scattered. Then they brought the word. And I want to encourage you that if this is where God has you planted right now, if you were planted here at Firewall, that you get discipled here. Get discipled. Grow Because there may be a day coming in the future where God will scatter you and you'll be in a new city, a new town, a new community, a new job, and you're going to be like, well, what am I doing here? You're not just there to advance your career. You're not just there for fresh and new opportunities. God is strategically placing you to be a preacher, a a declarer of the word. You're being scattered to share the word. That is why you were there. But before you get there, you need to be discipled before you get there so you can be seed that lands, produces, takes root, and produces fruit. Secondly, pleasure is going to run out on you. And we're going to look at that a little bit further in the uh, city of Antioch and in the book of Acts. There's a point where it just runs out. And we go looking for something of more substance. It's crazy to me. The more that I learn about the city of Antioch, that that's where the gospel takes root. But sometimes the gospel takes root in some of the most unlikely places because they're so desperate for it. I believe Rowlett is desperate for the gospel. And then finally, the hand of the Lord. If the hand of the Lord, again, is not with us as a ministry, it'll be powerless But if the hand of the Lord is not on us as individuals, so are our life. I mean, we can can have like wear a cross around our neck and we can have a coffee cup with that like cool Christian phrase. Like, give me a coffee cup. What does it say on it? Got Jesus. (laughs) Got, Got coffee, got Jesus. I need a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. Uh huh. For God so loved the world that he gave me an extra cup. I mean, come on, we got to be more than that. We got to be more than the, the family, that, the folks that walk around with testaments. You know what I'm talking about? Testaments. They're little mints, little package of mints. And you walk up to somebody and you go, hey, you want a mint? And on the inside it says, for God so loves you, here, have a mint. Jesus loves you, but your breast stinks. Here, have one. <laughs> family, if we want God to work in our life in power, do you want him moving through your life in power? Do you want... God to move in your life in power. Family, then your desire is to have the hand of the Lord upon your life. It's a willingness to walk in obedience and humility. I want to be a hometown hero. I want to be like Paul. I want to be like Barnabas. I want to be like Peter. I want to be like these folks that put their life on the line for the sake of Christ. I want to live this thing out. And for some of you today, you may not even know Jesus at all. And maybe you've heard about Jesus and and you've heard the gospel, but I want you to know, friend, Jesus Christ died for you. He was buried and he is risen. That is actual fact. And he has ascended and he is exalted at the right hand of God. And the Bible says all who believe in him will be saved. 
Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your word. Father, we we ask that your hand would move here in power. I pray you move in power here to save marriages. I pray you move in power here to reconcile. I pray you move in power here to save souls. I pray you move in power here in this community to rescue Rowlett from the bondage of death. I pray you rescue Saxe and Wiley and the surrounding communities. Please, Jesus, move in power here in this place. Lord, just as Joshua said, if you will not go with us, we will not go. I pray we have that same heart. Jesus, if you won't go with us, we won't go. Please move in power. Please save. If you are here today and you do not have Jesus as your Savior, you know it. Turn to him. Give your life to him. The Bible says all who believe that he died and was buried and is risen will be saved. If that is your desire to be saved in your heart, ask him. Say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. I believe. You'll be a son and daughter of God forever. Please make that relevant to us. Gosh, please make that relevant. There is nothing greater than being a son or daughter of God. We love you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Stretch, y'all the great. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. May the grace and goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, you are loved. Now go show the world, go tell the world that they are too. And.